The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Is it mad that the world burning is not in our, like, top three concerns? You thought bad news was done, but I'm back with more. And Alice Sneddon's Bad News Saves the World. I finally address the climate crisis and explore why no one cares. Watch it on thespinoff.co.nz. I can see the anxiety starting to emit from you. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Powell. On the 4th of July, Independence Day, just some four years ago, today's guest started a new company in the tech space. Having come out of some of the world's biggest ICT companies, like IBM and Cisco, Mike Jenkins was keen to help use the power of this cloud technology thing to help businesses do better. And look at how it's gone. Today's company is working with some of New Zealand's biggest companies, like Fonterra, through to helping retailers like World run better businesses. He was awarded the Emerging ICT Leader at the CIO Awards and got the Digital Transformation of the Year gong at the IDC Australasia Awards for their work transforming Fonterra. From starting with three, they've grown to 30 employees and are just getting started. In fact, just the other week, they signed a big deal with Google Cloud. To talk about the power of the cloud, the effect it's having on business, and how he's used it to get himself along, Mike Jenkins joins us. G'day. G'day. Thanks, Simon. Hey, so um, tell me, what first attracted you to the tech industry? Yeah, I mean, my journey into tech's probably uh, a little bit different from, from most people. Um, my my family, actually, my old man grew up in the industry, having been part of the Computerland era, which was relatively popular in New Zealand in the late 80s, early 90s. And he gave me some advice around industries that I should pursue, I guess, as a, yeah, a new graduate, uh, which was basically stay away from tech. It's full of geeks uh, and look at property or finance, but um, wasn't very good for taking advice back then. And so really, I just landed in tech by meeting some great people. And, and that's what really attracted me to tech. And what kind of work were you doing? Like, were you helping in, in the big companies? Yeah, so so at IBM and Cisco, it was a, a lot different to what we're doing now. To be, to be honest, back then, we were in the game of shifting tin. And uh, fundamentally, people believed back then that big IT hardware solved business problems. Um, unfortunately, it just didn't. It was just uh, consuming more of the same and really made the problems bigger. So, yeah, we did a lot of work around um, servers and storage and uh, at Cisco more recently, you know, probably some of the coolest stuff around mobile packet core and the evolution of 4G around the world, which actually did make a big difference here in New Zealand particularly and connected some of those remote areas that hadn't previously been connected. 
I mean, there's something about technology and humans in that we bank the game so quickly, eh? We just take stuff for granted so fast. But it's not long ago that there there wasn't a cloud option and you did need that room full of tin, the servers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the emergence of software as a service has been the real killer, if you like, of that tech. Because to start a business anymore, whether it's software or hardware, you don't actually you don't need the hardware anymore. You literally spin up an instance in the cloud in less than one, a minute, and you can deploy your software to that stack in less than you know, another minute. So within two minutes, you've got an app that's actually available around the world. That's one of the big things that Mark Andreessen picks up on, doesn't he? Saying that it used to be that a tech startup needed uh, five engineers and a CTO and a massive amount of an, uh, investment in technology, and now it's just a person with a laptop. Absolutely. Anywhere in the world. What led you, so when you were seeing these changes coming in at these companies that still made their money out of selling tin, <laughs> what led you to want to make the jump and set up your own shop? Yeah, I think it was a, a probably a bit of a reality check for me. Um, yeah, when you start to see your core business, you know, as in the selling of IT hardware, evaporate you start you've got to start asking yourself some questions you know is it the company i'm working for and they, they seem to still be making billions of dollars a year so may, you know maybe not um so we went out and talked to the customers to be perfectly honest so we went out and talked to 20 odd customers around the world that i was fortunate to have in my black book from ibm cisco days and uh, we talked to business owners cfos and really the feedback was overwhelming they weren't getting what they wanted from us as a vendor uh, their incumbent integrators or traditional business partners in that IT space, and they were screaming for something more. To be to be perfectly honest, and so um, you know that combined with a bit of a research trip to the US led us to believe that you know this tidal wave of cloud and particularly public cloud was coming, um, and there wasn't really a player in the you know Australasian marketplace that was you know grabbing the bull by the horns and and you know fronting up with an offer that they could consume. And so. What did you What did you do to take the leap? Because you started in San Francisco, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. We we had an interesting time here in New Zealand. I was very fortunate to have some great support, you know, from some of the executives in, in Cisco and exiting Cisco. Um, it, but that you know that meant we had to sacrifice you know competing in the same market for a period of time. Uh, so for us, you know, again as part of that process where we did it, essentially a an informal customer survey of some of those business owners that we knew there were a lot of very cool businesses and Kiwis and Aussies doing some amazing things in North America and the UK. Um, and so we we're fortunate to leverage those relationships to actually launch our company with a global view first, as opposed to here at home and trying to expand offshore. And does that help? I mean, I look at the list of the people who you work with and um, represent and kind of resell to these companies here. Amazon with Amazon Web Services, uh, Microsoft, uh, Google with Google Cloud. Did having that footprint in San Francisco help you make those deals, build those relationships? Yeah, absolutely, again. And I think, you know, our our quality time in the Kiwi landing pad, so big props to all those guys around that. Um, For us, it was amazing, you know, because we literally had a direct connection into Silicon Valley and and the Kiwi network, you know, and through Kia and those types of things should not be underestimated. So that was huge for us in connecting us into, you know, whether it was Kiwis and Aussies and big roles in those big businesses. And to be honest, that's been a real differentiator for the ancillary organisation, uh, both here at home and away. You know, we're no longer competing against the local, you know, relationship with the local partner manager here. You know, we've got senior executive relationships in, in AWS, Microsoft, Google, and, and, you know, we're looking into things like Alibaba as well as a result of that global presence. 
How do you make a deal with a company like that? As uh, I mean, you've got the you've got the resume. Uh, you've certainly got the 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 real great people skills. How do you get a meeting at Amazon? Yeah, it's it's really interesting actually. I think um, and and I'll probably use Microsoft as an example. You know, as opposed because Amazon are you know very much thought leaders, right? Leaders in the public cloud game top right Gartner quadrant when it comes to public cloud and, and platform as a service. You know, for us, um, we, there was a natural attraction there as we were doing some relatively cool stuff, some groundbreaking stuff in public cloud as well as automation, which they could really vibe with. And some of the brands that we were bringing to them weren't necessarily ones that had, they had access to, you know, born in the cloud SaaS players. Um, whereas I think the, the most interesting one, you know, both for Google and Microsoft is slightly more traditional players moving into public cloud. We've really seen you, a big. You mean kind of like people they already were selling stuff to, yeah, bringing them away from the servers to the cloud. Ex- yeah. yeah, exactly right. And so, so a brand like us that was exclusively doing public cloud or what we now refer to as multi-cloud um, was really attractive to them in terms of establishing a partnership. Not just for our customer, you know, our stable of cool customers, but also because they wanted to be seen to be innovating with new, innovative, agile partners. So I think as much of our desire to work with them in a multi-cloud fashion was, you know, equally for them to help them with their rebrand and transformation of their brand into, you know, markets like Australia and New Zealand. Let's look a little bit about, because we're talking about the public cloud, the multi-cloud, mm. the cloud. You know, what, what, what's your kind of... Um what do you, when you run into a, an old mate at a barbecue and they're like, what are you up to? How do you describe the cloud and what the potential of it is for businesses, why it's exciting? Yeah, yeah sure. So, I mean, yeah, multi-cloud and the cloud is a really interesting one. And to be honest, um, what it is for us when we're working with our clients is we're in the business of shutting down data centers. It comes down to the question of specialization. It's an age-old one around outsourcing and focusing on your core business but fundamentally what we do as an organization is we allow businesses whether it's Fonterra or World or uh, Link Market Services you name it to focus on their core business and we take care of the traditional noise and pain of managing a highly scalable infrastructure to support their core applications that they run their business on today. So let's say they have a business that's going well you are the people who if they need more juice, more computing grunt, more storage space, all the rest of it as they grow, you just make sure it happens without them having to think about building another room to stick servers in. Is, that, is that the kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, whether it's launching in a new company, they now they now don't actually require an IT person in that company. So that whole regional distributed IT resource model, you know, from the 90s and even early 2000s, mm. they can launch in a new company without any IT hardware, without any IT personnel. And in fact, we don't even need to go there either. We can spin up their apps in the local region, ensure it's an amazing customer experience for their staff and their customers. Um, and we can do it now in hours or minutes. Uh, so it's not a matter of weeks or months anymore. And so how does that become... Um a business, because you know where there's mystery, there's margin, and so the fact you've got three people in overalls spending three weeks building a server room, you can make a lot of margin on that as a business, I imagine. But if you're spinning stuff up in hours, how do you make money? That's right, and so it is. A, it is a, a really interesting game to be in, and particularly from a services company, and that's fundamentally what we are. We you know we don't hide it. Um, so for us, we we look to invest with our customers, and we look at shared risk models. So. 
you know, through the speed and agility that you can deliver and the enhanced productivity of enabling these teams to focus on their core business, that saves these big businesses in particular millions. And even at the small end of the scale, you know, the, the core companies that we're dealing with, like Benny at World, um, there's a massive productivity gain to be had by being able to focus on your core business and not worry about, do I have connectivity to my site? Can I get application access? Yeah. You t- tell me about the world story because there, um, there was a great line out of that story uh, that I saw where um, he said, "I don't, I don't give a shit what the cloud is. I just love that it works." And there was also a really cool thing in there about um, the idea that they just, you, you know, they just came to you and said, "Here are all of our bills. Can you make something better in the same price?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it was a, it was a great story, and you know, Benny and the team at World were really ahead of their time. You know, they're a 20-plus-year-old uh, fashion retail organisation. And I think really what they saw with the Instillery and some of our early reference clients was um, just that relationship and understanding that retail game, which is so critical if you're going to you know, enter into any business partnership. So for us, what we were able to do with them was fully transparently look at the spend that they had in our arena today and look at the, the best ways to optimise but to be honest, it wasn't really all about cost out for them. I mean, that was that was one of the uh, outcomes, I guess, of engaging the instillery there. But for them, I think fundamentally it was about business visibility. So, and and a lot of what we do, whether it's large enterprise or in in the retail hospital end of town, is about servicing data that already exists in those businesses today, and presenting it in a way that's meaningful and allows them to make better business decisions. That's it. So in the world case, and uh, I, I know a bit about this because I've uh, done work with you at Vend, and you guys actually, uh, just for the old disclosure of interest things, uh, I was so impressed with what you did there that I got you to come in and uh, look after us at Ingrid Stans as well. But how about the other end of the spectrum? So, you know, that's, that's world, a, a, a fashion store that people would know to walk into. How do you digitally transform a Fonterra to the, to the extent that you, you get the gong? Yeah, uh, Fonterra is a, a great example, I guess, of um, a huge Kiwi, but a huge global organisation that's grown massively organically. And, and that's really common with the enterprises that we work with. Um, and a number of them, you hear them, they're embarking on huge transformation programmes and, um, you know, cost out agendas, you know, enhancing productivity. Um, I think the reality is for, for those businesses, you know, they're all very similar in that they bring people in to do a job, but quite often they can get caught up in the, the sheer complexity and uh, size of those organisations. So we're really lucky to be, I guess, a, a somewhat of a trusted independent advisor in there and quite often um, we'll work, work with organisations like Fonterra to do a discovery of current processes, whether that's IT or you know the new evolution of digital, the combination of marketing and IT coming together to form this digital practice. Um, so for Fonterra, that's exactly how that started. We were engaged uh, by Mark and Raf in there, and um, we did a, a deep discovery, met with a number of application stakeholders, end users, and we, uh, you know, literally like the world story, we were able to surface some of those, what for them were hidden cues in the organisation. And by cues, I mean yeah, the time it takes to get from one process or one stage of a process to another. And so then we're able to quantify the time and then therefore the cost of those cues in the organisation. And then we've effectively just busted those cues with automating the IT processes around it. And we've gone and built a new tool that allows them, which we call Digital Pipeline, um, and combined it with a service that allows them, like I said, just to focus on their business, which in the Fonterra digital cases, 
you know, operating a business in 32 countries around the world with over 100 digital agencies, and now they have full visibility from the creation of a campaign, which might be for a new website or a new Fonterra brand, through to the end and delivery of that website for that particular brand, which they previously didn't have. So that means it's you know, three to four times faster to deliver those campaigns for a tenth of the cost, and they have full visibility throughout the process. That's, that's really interesting, and that idea as well that you know, the first bit of data is you have to measure things to know which way you move things. And that reminds me a little bit of um, what you're doing with, and and when you mentioned there that you build things, because you've built a number of things to give that measurement and visibility. Hey, like an AWS product uh, to let people understand kind of, I don't know, tell me, what what was the AWS product you built? Yeah, sure. So so the ancillary business has really evolved. You know, we're very firmly a, a public cloud or multi-cloud consulting house, right? And that evolved to us you know, having a slightly bigger team and being able to help migrate these big businesses and small businesses to the cloud and, and software as a service. The evolution of that business for us has transitioned through that whole managed services platform, which we still deliver, to actually creating apps that solve those business problems. You know, and so we are still a long way away from being a development house. And you know, that's, that's a matter of public record and we're investing in that area. But for us, we do want to continue to build apps that solve real problems and you know, we want to make sure that's tangible. And it's not always possible just through services alone. So um, yeah, for us last year at, in Vegas at AWS reInvent, we launched ClearState, which a couple of our team had got together and, and identified a key problem with a, and a number of businesses that we work with around visibility in the public cloud. The thing about public cloud, it's so easy to consume people do and quite often there's a lot of bill shock involved at the end of the month if you don't have the right controls in place so we developed a tool that gives them that visibility Um, it it answers the question around how much am I using and what what's the trend you know this month to last month Um, and also you know where is my data at any one time which is a really important question in New Zealand government right now particularly in the realm of public cloud so we can say wholeheartedly on this world map today your data is all sitting in Australasia or it's all sitting in the east coast of the US or Ireland or wherever it might be. Um, and so having that visibility, again, allows them to make you know, better business decisions. That's interesting. And so with that, do you then sell it to other companies that are operating as managed service providers for people on AWS? Yeah, that's right. And we've actually found a bit of a niche, which was never the intent. It was always for end customers. But um, So we're putting it up on the AWS marketplace at the end of the year. And so essentially any public cloud service provider, uh, any digital agency that hosts multiple websites for people uh, will be able to use that for their raft of raft of businesses they look after. Yeah, Black uh, Software here in New Zealand, they host 100 plus different websites. They've saved 40% just from identifying things that we call orphaned instances that were actually weren't attached to anything, um, which they just didn't have visibility of. So they weren't attached to anything, but like right. they were just drawing a whole lot yeah. of... Yeah, massive costs, right, for an agency. Yeah. In, in terms of that building thing, so that's kind of like a tangible, intangible, you know, like you're letting people see something that they couldn't see. What about in the um, agriculture industry with Node, where you're actually measuring something that's a bit of a political conversation at the moment? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Node's been a a fantastic journey for me personally. Um, You know, growing up in the Waikato, I've got a lot of friends that are dairy farmers and goat farmers, and, and, and that's a really interesting market at the moment. But I think very topical in this whole election year, around you know tax the whole water you know question of taxing water on farms or whatever it might be and I think when we, you know this conversation came up we were quite well down the path of you know exploring IoT and and the internet of things and what that actually means for Kiwi businesses you know big and small whether it's farm or retail or, or whatever you um, and so when the topic of you know taxing water came up we were, 
we're trying to work out how people are actually going to measure it. Because, you know, to be able to tax something, fundamentally, you need to know how much people are consuming. So um, basically, Node was born. We, we launched it this year. I actually launched it with a group of mates uh, from high school down in the Waikato down there who are actually all gone off on their dairy farming journeys and are analysts or consultants to multiple farms. So, yeah, we launched it this month. But, yeah, in a nutshell, what it does is remotely measures water from tanks and troughs across a farm, all with the comfort of your mobile phone. Um, it literally starts for as low as 30 bucks a month. So, you know, it's accessible for lifestyle farmers all the way to the big corporate dairy farmers. And, and I guess part of that is knowing how much you're using, but part of it would just be to know that you're not about to run out. 100% or that there's been a leak in your tank or trough, which, you know, you might do those visits on a, a weekly or, or even, you know, two daily basis. And it costs a lot of money to go and get a truck and to fill that up. So, yeah, so it's all about proactive farming or proactive, you know, visibility. And, and how do you how do you do all this stuff? So you know you're you're running the organisation, you're the the CEO, um, and you've got you've got a team of thirty. But you know, are you are you out there? It sounds like you're personally kind of involved in the uh, app kind of um, brainstorming creation. The definitely the business development, uh, heading off the international awards ceremonies. How do you make it happen? Yeah, I mean to be, to be honest, you know, well, I used to do it all uh, back in the day, but we just quite simply didn't have the scale. So um, I'm, I'm really lucky to have quite an amazing team, to be perfectly honest, uh, both at the Instillery and at Node. Um, so, you know, to the point where uh, Richie Wildman is now the founder of Node and he's leading that evolution of that business and I'm really just a backseat guy and, you know, he knows that market better than anybody. But from an Instillery perspective, you know, we've brought on a great leadership team over, over the last couple of years. Uh, Matt here, our CTO, does an amazing job in terms of the evolution of our service product portfolio and coming up with the crazy new ideas to really that it will have a massive impact uh, we've got Jamie Wallace who's our new chief operations officer Jeremy Knees chief product officer and also a great young team you know and I think the coolest thing about the instillery and the team perspective is that these guys are young and they don't know what's not possible so they're constantly challenging the norm and uh, that's something we want to keep up how do you upskill the things that you haven't uh, known as you've been on this pretty amazing growth journey um do you have mentors do you have mottos or words you live by yeah I, i'm not so not one really for mottos but uh, yeah i do read a lot and uh you know obviously listen to things you know podcasts and that type of thing i love vibing with particularly kiwi entrepreneurs because it just blows me away how humble they are and you know, there's so many cool kiwis doing amazing things but to be honest probably my biggest mentor is my old man he um he's a chairman of our board uh and you know, he's just an amazing person to vibe with because he comes from a, a bean counter background, but he understands tech as well. And so, you know, he he's always a very good sounding board and a, and a grounding conversation, you know, in terms of, you know, before you take flight too quickly, you know, make sure you've got, you know, your house in order. So, yeah, there's a, a couple of people that I really look up to. And, yeah. There are a couple of things that I've noticed um, with, uh, you know, some positions you've taken in the industry around diversity, which are really interesting as well with... Um, uh, a post that you wrote about what can be done to improve the industry after attending a conference where there were a thousand guys and hardly any women. What was the response to that and what was your position there? Yeah, I mean, it's always a bit of a controversial issue, and but I think in 2017 we should be able to have a pretty open conversation about it. There's a lot of people who are coming out saying that, you know, it's changing for, you know, changing hugely, I guess, last year to this year. I, I mean, I call bullshit, to be perfectly honest. and And I think... 
it's not necessarily a problem uh, just in the industry of job seekers. I think we probably need to go back even further, and it's a you know, people have talked it to death in universities and schools. But you know, I always look at it from a from an ancillary perspective, you know, because that's that's what's closest to my heart. Yeah, you know, we would have a hundred to two hundred people apply for pretty much every role we go to market for. I would see less than two percent of those being women, and I'd see less than one percent of those being uh, Maori Pacifica as well. Which so I think. Just, just as an industry, if I look at the lens of the instillery, I think we're just missing out on a huge group of talent, mm. uh, fundamentally. So we're actually only picking from even less than half of the potential workforce. And I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know the answer, um, apart from, you know, we're pretty proactively going out now to universities off our own back and connecting with schools and um, trying to get the word out there that IT isn't all about cardigans and bow ties and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like or, or what your experience is, but you can add value to the industry through your fresh lens. Um, and so we're, we're, we're trying to do that, but at the same time, to be honest, the impacts, it's, we haven't been able to measure it. So. And, and also those ideas around... Um needing certain qualifications or needing to have travelled a certain path before coming to your company. Is that something that you guys are also involved with? Yeah, yeah. And, and again, for us, we're really passionate about it. I mean, there's certain roles where you do need some real deep experience and, and fundamentally we get that. But what we're all about at the Instillery is connecting, you know, so young, fresh lens, you know, um, with with some really experienced guys and girls and so that's we give everyone a mentor at work uh, and we bring them together and and that's where the magic happens you know that uninhibited ideas you know with with a bit of experience and so we've gone to market with that message for those new entry roles you don't need to be a computer science graduate Um, we can train you the instillery way of doing things and honestly, quite honestly, that's, that's why it's great having you know, what we call the retail and hospitality realm of the business as well, because we can bring in those young uh, people and actually get them involved really early in real practical projects. They don't just go into the realm of a thousand new graduates and get spat out the other end into some function. Um, it's really all about trying to help them make an impact early and understand an industry so they can hang their hat on something and, and, yeah, and grow. And so this this whole cloud thing that you, uh, you picked pretty early as being a transformational force in business you know what stage are we at in it like because the 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 impact it's already having on New Zealand business and the ability to be international is hard to overstate you know and I I know people like you who are in it every day know but I just don't know if everyone knows just how transformational it is what stage do you think we're at on the cloud journey yeah I mean scarily I you know four years ago when we started the ancillary uh we were way too early we were going into Kiwi businesses and Australian businesses and they were freaking out at us talking about the world was going to change and public cloud's the future and sort of not a matter of if but when. Um, but I think in 2017 it's more widely accepted, particularly private sector. We, you know, we do a lot of work with banking financial institutions. They fundamentally get it. There's new evolutions now, not just public cloud around automation and you know, funky stuff like CICD and DevOps and blockchain and all that, you know, gobbledygook. But, you know, for, for us at the end of the day, New Zealand's still pretty, uh, I would say it's an emerging market for public cloud, particularly when it comes to mass adoption. And so for me, one area I'm really focused on right now um, as an Auckland ratepayer <laughs> uh, is, is actually helping people like Auckland Council realise the value of, of public cloud, not just from a cost out perspective, but how to do more with less uh, and so, you know, that's a that's a message we're taking not just to Auckland, but uh, down to Wellington as well, and you know, GCIO. And there's been some really cool changes in that market that I think now enable the government to uh, take advantage of some of the more modern technologies and not be stuck in the past. Yeah, 
that's so cool well thank you so much for taking the time this morning to chat to us mike jenkins ceo of the instillery uh, and we'll keep an eye out for what comes next cool cheers guys appreciate it thank you so much to madeline chapman for producing and thank you for listening you've been listening to business is boring presented by simon pound and brought to you by the spin-off and callahan innovation From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.